0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Okay, as Frank's mentioned a couple times, it's Orphan Sunday. Uh, I'm going to, like, the the question is why? Why do we do this every year? Why don't we kind of talk about this particular issue? Um, Why this? Uh, And I would just say it's on God's heart. Uh, and it's part of our calling. That's kind of where we are. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline to the sermon. All right. So like, this is where we're going to end. I'm telling you now so that you know, some of you, before you walk out of the room, we uh, will need to walk that way uh, by the coffee pot over there. There's a table set up. Uh, the sanctuary foster care and adoption services is one of our ministry partners. We've been um, doing good work with them and enjoying that relationship uh, for a couple of years now and are really grateful of the things that God is doing there. And, uh, Gracie, Gracie, wait for us. Uh, Gracie's right over there. She'll be at that table. And some of you will need to, before you walk out of here, stop by, get some information about what it looks like for you uh, to take the next step and to, uh, for you yourself, um, to rally to the cause, uh, of the orphan and, uh, taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. So here we go. James chapter one, if you've been uh, keeping score at home, you'll know that we skipped this passage a few weeks ago and now we're coming back to it and you'll see why momentarily. Um, so today it's, uh, uh about, um, we're going to, it's orphan Sunday. This is where James is going to push us, but we're going to walk through this first part of the passage um, to, to ready us for this. So here we go. Verse 19, James one, verse 19. Know this b- beloved brothers and sisters, uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, receive with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save you. So here we go. Uh, in terms of being ready for what God wants to do, the idea is simply that we listen to what God says and do what God says because it readies us um, to participate with God um, in what he's doing. So here we go. Verse 19, know this beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Anybody challenged by that already? Well, just pause here. Is there anything more countercultural in our moment than quick to hear and slow to speak? Uh, I mean, maybe, but that'd be a pretty dang short list, yeah. Okay, B- uh, be quick to hear. Why? Because our willingness to listen speaks value, uh, speaks of our value to other people. Our willingness to listen speaks to our value of other people. You, you've been in conversation or in some interaction where you're not listening. You're not. Uh, uh, you're just thinking about, or you're sitting there and uh, your phone goes off. Gzz, gzz, and you're like, oh yeah, keep going. Yep, yep, mm-hmm, I'm listening. Our willingness to listen speaks to our value for other people. And, and it, to be quick to do so, I think, talks about their priority. It, 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 not, it not only speaks of our value, but it speaks value to them. And secondly, be, be slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Why? Because slow to speak ensures um, that we hold value for other people. It ensures the value that we hold for other people and furthermore certifies our value to them. Again, you're in conversation or uh, they're telling you something. And if I'm gearing up to respond to them, to tell my part of the story, to bring the conversation back to me and the topics I want to talk about or whatever, and I'm going to jump on on top of them. I'm going to, you know, kind of verbally rearrange this moment right here. That is not what we're talking about here. Slow to speak, that ensures that we hold value for other people, and it, it certifies the care and the value that we hold for them. And again, I just point out could anything be more countercultural than those two things right now? Here we go. Um, la- last part of this. And slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do we need to add any commentary to that? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness. When you combine quick to listen and you combine slow to speak, what you have is a pretty good recipe to help you with not only anger, but also all the consequences that flow out of that. The anger of man does not accomplish, so be slow to anger because it doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. Anger comes from a, a, wo- a wounded ego. Anger comes from unmet expectations or uh, anger comes from uh, a a will that gets thwarted. I'm not getting my way, you know, that kind of thing. This is where we are. And so when I'm slow uh, to speak, when I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, that helps with all anger um, and its kind of consequences. Um, Another way of translating verse 20 would go something like this. There is no practice of human anger that accomplishes God's genuine goodness in the world. There's just not. Question is, well, what do we do about righteous anger? Then, I mean, shouldn't we get kind of fired up about certain things? Absolutely, we should. But righteous anger is not about me. Have you ever noticed this? Like when these kind of righteousness is about caring about others and what's happening to them specifically, caring about the things that God cares about as other things are happening to them, and it's never about me. Um, fearful anger is what gets self protective, and we are rife with it in our culture. It is on every platform, every uh, uh, social media. They're like all of the places. Um, And we just, you know, goodness gracious, we're trying to close out an election season and we're just packed with it. Fearful anger. Righteous anger. Is always on others' behalf and not on my own. And it's fearful language that tries to protect ourselves. And what, why, why does James start here? Why are we talking about this? Uh, because everybody, um, there's a group of uh, us that meets at eight o'clock on um, Sunday morning to pray for all of us as we gather this morning. One of the guys and I were talking this morning. He said, man, everybody wants revival, right? And, and they say, hey, listen, when revival comes, call me, I'm coming. But the kind of revival, the kind of renewal that God wants to bring starts where? In this, this square foot that I'm standing on right here. It starts right here. And so the renewal that we want, the revival that we desire, the things that we want God to do. Why? Because if we rid ourselves of these kinds of things, then we are readying ourselves to, for God to do the things that he wants us to do. If, if we are willing to set aside these things, if we're willing to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and set aside some of this kind of faux outrage um, that makes our culture go round and makes our economy at times go round, um, if we're willing to set that kind of stuff and live counterculturally, then guess what? Revival can really come, Renewal can really come. The things that we want to see God do in the world can come, and it will start on this square foot. this one right here: ridding ourselves. Is actually readying ourselves for God to use us. That's why we start there. I, I actually read it this morning in my own uh, just personal reading. This is Psalm uh, 81. And I, I just, it was a very late ad. Um, so let me read it to you here. Psalm 81, verse eight. Hear, O people, while I admonish, Israel, uh, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Quick to listen. There should be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God, for I and the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. To put it another way, it's the empty hands that God entrusts things to. I have to rid myself in order to ready myself for what God wants to do. And that's why he says back in James chapter uh, 121, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, the kind of filthiness and rampant wickedness that's associated with anger and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So that moves us from ready now to... The next kind of stage of this is set. Like if we're running a race, ready, set, and we've got um, to receive this. We do have to hear God's word. Verse twenty-two: But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who intent who looks intently at his face in a natural excuse me at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away. Um, And at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer, but one who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We do have to start with hearing the word. If we're going to be set, like if the, if the um, position and intent and kind of posture of my heart is leaning towards God, if I'm going to be set in that, we do have to hear the word church family. You need to be opening your Bible's Be a person who is marked by, saturated with the scriptures here. Be a person that that this stuff kind of flows into. You have to be. And when we come in here, we want you to be a person who listens to what God says. We have to be a person who hears the word, not only as we read it personally, not only when we gather in these big groups, but also um, in our smaller groups, in our Sunday school classes and small groups, as we talk about the scriptures and have it open in our laps and be interacting with people around it. These are the kinds of things that we're talking about. You have to be a hearer of the word. Part of the problem is that we're quick to hear everyone but God. And sometimes the volume of all of that gets so loud that you're not sure you could hear God at all. Hear God's word. Secondly, as you can imagine, do God's word, but be, so not just receiving uh, this word with meekness, but uh, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Um, so you want to be a person who, okay, I, I've, I've got this. I, I've, I've mentally processed it. I know it has come into my ears and it is kind of rattling around in my head now. Um, and now I want to go live this out. There's a question I often, so often get as a pastor. And it goes something like this. Hey, um, like, I hear this, and I'm like, I know it, but I don't know it. How do I move it? From up here to down here, how do I go from mentally assenting to the reality of this to experiencing this as a part of my life? What's the answer to that? Well, how do I translate it? There's two ways that the Bible consistently points to. I'll just highlight them both. One of them is highlighted here. I'm saying the other one just so that you know. One is to sing it. You sing it into your heart. I don't know if you know this or not, but singing is pretty critical. Thus, The longest book of the Bible is, it's a song book. How many of you have ever been in a place of great joy, great sorrow, hardship, whatever, and a lyric has come to your mind that is stuck in there and you're like, I don't know what I'm standing on, but I'm going to stand on that. This is what we're talking about. Um, I, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Like, I'm going to stand on that, It doesn't look like his promises are yes and amen today, but tomorrow they may very well come to fruition. And so I'm going to stand today that God has put his yes over that because of Jesus. I'm going to hold on to that. You sing it, you sing it. Um, into your heart. And I just, again, one more little aside here, just very quickly. It's one of the reasons why I, Frank advocates for it. I continue to advocate for it. I want you to know when you step into this room, the, the, the music is, it's not warm up for this moment right here. Like it is a vital part of our church life together that we sing because you singing helps somebody else out and you may not even know it. It not only glorifies God, but it helps somebody else out. Okay. Commercial over for you and your singing. All right. Singing into your heart. Secondly, the second way is what James mentions here. You obey it into your heart. To, to move truth from out of here into here, you obey it into your heart. Look what he says. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, of, uh, law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Another way to say this, Jesus in John 7, verse 17 says, if you really want to know if my teaching comes from God, go try it. Then you'll know. Huh. Jesus, you are right about this. Oh, Obey it into your heart. You, you want to, part of the Christian life Is us becoming the kind of people who experience the things that the Bible talks about and for us to grow into that kind of experiential relationship with God, not just thank you, God, for this, thank you, God, for this, not just transactional, but experiential. We have to be people who are inclined. The set of our heart is to obey it. The warning here is pretty clear. You will compound your natural bent to forgetfulness if you don't obey. If I hear it, and it was like, hey, I'm going to get to that tomorrow. You will compound your natural forgetfulness. The idea is simply um, you're eating at a barbecue joint and you've got some barbecue and uh, some of it like finds its way onto your face right in here. And people across the table will be like, hey, uh, you got a little something. And you just, you grab, you grab the napkin, you're getting ready to wipe it. And somebody walks up and starts talking to you. You're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you completely forget what has happened to you at this point. It's awkward for everybody. Yes? Yes. This is what it's like. And you will compound your forgetfulness if you're a person who hears and doesn't actually do. And who wants to be a person? I mean, really, let's just ask the question. Who wants to be a person whose Bible is, I mean, whose head is just packed with the Bible, but whose heart doesn't experience it at all? Not me. I don't want to be that guy. So obey it. Obey it into your heart. And um, the the, the question or the temptation, I think, is just to say this. Um, You know, well, (laughs) those people forget. Like those, like it applies to them. I'm the exception to that rule. I mean, you know, if I were in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have taken the fruit. You serious about that? Well, you know, the 12 spies went into the promised land and like 10 of them came back. Two of them were Joshua and Caleb. They're like, oh, this is going to be great. And the other 10 are like, no, 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 we ain't going in there. Like if I had been one of those, I I would have voted with Joshua and Caleb. I just need you to know like it would have been 9-3 instead of 10-2. The temptation is to think you're the exception to the rule. Church family, listen, there are no exceptions to this rule. Don't compound your natural bent toward forgetfulness. So, we've had ready. We're we ridding ourselves of some things in order to ready ourselves for what God wants to do. We've had set, the inclination, the, the posture of our heart is bent to hear God's word and then to go do it. Anybody want to guess what the next part is? Ready, set, go. Oh, y'all are so smart. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that uh, person's religion is worthless. Can we just pause and say this, uh, that here again is James talking about our communication. So we've done it in chapter one, chapter three, chapter four, and chapter five. It seems like it's fairly important um, to him. So there is a kind of religion that is worthless. And what is that kind of religion? It is the kind of religion that does not actually make a difference in people's personal lives or in their lives as they relate to the world around them. Some might even call it the private religion. Like you hold on to it as if it's some memento and make sure that it's on your shelf so that you can talk about it like when it's convenient to do so or when somebody points it out. But, but what you don't do is actually let it make a difference in your own life or in the lives of those around you. That's what he's saying. This kind of person... Their religion is worthless. And what does it say specifically about them? That they deceive their own hearts about this. Like it's one thing to buy into the lie. It's one thing to buy into the deception when it comes my way from somebody else. It's a whole different thing to lie to myself. That kind of lie, that kind of self-deception is much, much harder to dig out of my life. And some of you, some of you have lived with this. Like you've lied to yourself and made much more of yourself than you should have. Or you've made much less of yourself than you should have. Either way, that that lie that is self-deceptive is much more difficult to dig out. There's a kind of religion that's worthless. The kind that doesn't make a difference. It's more like a museum piece than anything else. But there's also a kind of religion that is worth everything. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit or to watch over, to keep an eye on. Uh, orphans and widows in their affliction or in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the kind of religion that is worth everything. Why? Because it puts us in the flow. It, it puts us in the story that God is telling in the world and he's inviting us uh, to be a part of that. So I just note a couple of things here as we, um, as we move to this really important verse. This is the ministry of the Spirit. What do you mean by that? Well, to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is the stain of the world? The stain of the world is when I live with a kind of selfishness and hypocrisy. And the Spirit of God will not tolerate that. Like, he he will go to work. I am not my own. I am bought with a price, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. So something in me is going to give. Either I'm going to live as as if I am my own person, or I'm going to surrender to the Spirit of God, and he's going to go to work to be about transforming my life. This is what he's talking about. And to keep oneself unstained from the world is to keep oneself um, out of the selfishness and hypocrisy that seeks its own end and gives glory to God uh, hypocritically. Instead, we're being transformed and the Bible calls that pure and undefiled. What we have in that moment is that God has invited us into the ministry that he has provided for us. How did he go about making us pure and undefiled to, to keep oneself unstained. He, he brings us about in the spirit and he's inviting us into that. Hey, I've done this for you. Now I want you to be a part of this. And then we get to then invite others into what we have been invited into by, by looking over, watching out for widows and orphans. We are a a part of the story that God is telling unstained from the world. Unstained from the selfishness, unstained from the hypocrisy, yes, being changed. And here's what's true is that we not only experience by, by our ministry um, to to those who cannot take care of themselves, specifically orphans here, we are not only experiencing God's grace in a deeper way, and you ask anybody in here who's walked in this particular area of orphan care, foster parents and others, they, they have testimony of how they know God better. They have experienced gra- the grace of God in different ways because of their obedience here. We not only are, t- are experiencing this in different ways, but also we get to be a part of extending that grace to those who are in need. We invite others into what we have been invited into, and we make sure that they know that they are seen, know that they are not passed over, know that they are not beyond the pale. It's the ministry of the Spirit. But it's also the history of the people of Jesus. I mean, r- right here, this is like first century stuff. Remember, James is the little brother of Jesus, and. What is he saying? Hey, you need to watch out for, keep an eye on uh, these, these orphans here. And, and we can just talk about it from the present day backwards, okay? So let's talk about it just within our own church family. Multiple adoptions this year where we um, as a church family got to celebrate how God has been at work and what he has done in families. And we could have made a video um, with that same song a while ago. We could have made a video of the things that we as a church family have seen just this year. There, there's a... Judge who looked at um, one of the kids who was adopted and said, "Hey, what do you think?" And the kid goes, "I love my mom and dad," and the whole place was like. We could have looked at and saw a judge who said, hey, this is far, far more important to me than you ever know because of the story that I have in my life. I mean, we could have, we could have made our own I'm just like, God has done this. This is the history of the people of Jesus. And I could fall over dead tomorrow. And one of the things that I would be so grateful to report to Jesus on your behalf when I see him face to face is this, they took care of the orphan. That's what they did. It's it's built into us as a church family, into our DNA. It's the history of the people of Jesus, and, and it's true today. In our expression of this, it's been true, and um, it was true even from the beginning. Like when the church was founded, and the Spirit came, and the gospel went forth, this is one of the things that that happened. This is from... This quote here uh, is from uh, a professor named Ulhorn. Christian charity in the ancient church. Let's look what it says. When we first uh, meet the mention of adoption and bringing up of foundlings, which is an older word for orphans, um, this work appears not as a novelty. Meaning what? Even after, like when they have record that this kind of thing was reported, they don't talk about it as, well, the church started a new program. No, it's, it's not a novelty, but it's one long practice. It's true that the heathen also used to take care of exposed children, but for the purpose of bringing them up as gladiators and prostitutes or to use them in their own service. And the culture is still bringing up kids to use them for their own service. Christians brought up the children whom they took charge of for the Lord to lead a respectable and industrious life. This is true of the church from the get-go. It just is. It's ministry of the people of Jesus. So let's just talk for a second about what this looks like. How many um, kids are in foster care in the state of Texas right now? Guesses? Just one or two? Go. A lot. Yes. Okay. How many though? Put a number to it. Two million. No, thankfully not. Two million. (laughs) Thankfully not. Yes. Yes. more than a thousand. Yes. Somewhere between a thousand to me 21,000, um, 241 kids in foster care in Texas. How many, um, in the, uh, kind of region six area, greater Houston, metropolitan in Houston, how many? Not 10, not six, 28, um, 31 in region six. How many in just Harris and Galveston counties? Those two just north of that, 2082 in Harris and Galveston counties. So uh, this is the foster care situation as we kind of draw it from the the larger um, down to our much more local here. And if you're not familiar with our geography, we are literally on the border between Harris and Galveston counties um, set with, it was so amazing uh, to sit with, CPS actually has a faith-based office now that covers that. They are understaffed and underfunded as most things are when it comes to taking care of these things. But, man, they are committed to doing the work that they do. So, okay, so in light of that, how many kids are available for adoption through the foster, just through the foster care system in the state of Texas? I guess. I guess from this section over here. Anybody? Okay, north of 1,500, almost double, just a smidge over double that. 3,159. 3,159 are available for adoption, uh, in Texas. How many let's bring it down though. Cause that's a lot in the state. Uh, and there are parts of the state that are a long, long way from here. Uh, so let's bring it down. Just Harrison, Galveston County, this section over here, we'll take a guess. Oh, short of that. Oh, thankfully 246 in Harrison, Galveston County right now available. So, I'm about to say something, and to some it will feel like shame and guilt. It is not. It is not. This week, there's a group of Baptist churches that are getting together in Waco. It's one group, there are two groups of Baptist churches in Waco because we had a fight back in the 90s. (laughs) It's just the reality. 8,000 total Baptist churches, give or take, in the state of Texas. Uh, 4,500 is in this one particular group, statewide group, uh, that's meeting in Waco. 4,500. There are 3,159 kids available for adoption in the foster care system right now. There are 4,500 churches getting together in Waco. Baptist churches. Not to mention all the rest of them. Well, Houston. In, In the little... It's called the Union Baptist Association and the Galveston Baptist Association are two little, like more localized expressions of that. There's 300 churches, give or take. 246 kids ready for adoption. That's not guilt. That's saying it's opportunity for us to step forward and to, to rally people to this cause and to raise the flag and say this is what God desires um, in, in this world. Now, let me ask you a question before we go any further. Does that mean that everything goes great when it comes to foster care and adoption? There are stories in that section and there are stories in this. I'm looking at faces in this section and there are stories in this section and there are stories in that section. All of which can say, man, the system. And I don't, I, I have wept with you on these things and prayed with you on these things. And what I would say is the only thing that keeps me going is the darkest places need the brightest lights. And some of you have carried that pain. And I just recognize that the system is not everything that it could or should be. And there are opportunities for us to still step forward. And I don't, again, that's not guilt and that's not shame. It's just recognition of the reality of how things are. This is the history of the people of Jesus. And lastly, This is the heart of the father. You see what he says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, what? Before God, the father. How do you know he's a father? He has a family. It's the heart of the father. Uh, Our culture treats kids as either idols or irritations. God thinks they're awesome. Created in God's image. Destined for purpose in eternity. Jesus died for them. Kids are neither irritations nor idols. They are valued by God. And this is the heart of the father. And it, it, I mean, he not only is looking at us and advocating for them in this moment. Not only saying, hey, my people, my family, pay attention because there's family business that we need to do. He not only advocates for them, but he also acts on their behalf. My wife and I consistently say, um, as as um, parents who have adopted and parents who have been in the foster care system. We have not seen God move, um, in other areas of ministry. Like we have seen him move regarding, um, adoption and foster care. We just have it. Like we have seen God rip things apart and just show off. He'd be like, Oh, 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 Hey, they're getting on my agenda. Come, come, come here. Come here. Get, get that down there right now. That's what they need. I didn't clear this with them, so I won't mention their name, but um, if I did mention their name, you would know. Uh, There's a family that most of us know and love who's going through an adoption process overseas. Uh, Overseas adoption is a completely different ballgame, man. For them, it's about 40 grand. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Um, And all along the way, they're like, okay, Jesus we're going to trust you with this and so we're ready to fundraise. We're ready to work. We're ready to live without, we're ready to do And we'll sell, you know, I don't know what all we'll sell, but we'll sell some stuff and it, like whatever we need to do to make this happen. And uh, all along the way, God has just provided and provided and provided and provided. He's just done and done and done and done. It's been good. Uh, and they were at the point where uh, they were looking at about an eighteen thousand dollars shortfall, and they're like, "Well, here's what we're going to do: we're going to sell some T-shirts." Da-da-da-da. And they went to family camp. Many of you uh, know we, as a family, go to family camp every year. They go to a different week, and are just part of that, they're telling this story. And um, at the that uh, was on, tell the story on Monday. On Friday, a, f- a family walks up to him, and goes, "Hey." Uh, Can we talk to you for a second? Yeah, we're so excited for you and the adoption. So great, fantastic. I want you to know that we're in the commercial real estate business and God has been very, very good to us. And every year we set aside a percentage of how good God has been to us uh, to fund um, adoptions for others. And we want you to know that we've prayed about this this week. We want you to know that we want to give the money that's in that account to fund your adoption. Does anybody want to guess how much money was in the account and how God had, had been good to them? How many? $18,000. And God just like, hey, watch this. He just rips it open. And the Bible says he has a, a cattle on a, th- he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's like, hey, hey, you angel, I need a couple of cattle sold. We got to fund this rest of this thing. Let's make this magic happen, okay? He not only advocates on their behalf, looks at us and says, hey, you watch over them. But then he steps in and goes, oh, look at my people doing what I asked them to do. Watch this. I'm going to bless a commercial real estate developer so that he can bless a family. Oh, yeah, they live in different parts of the state. They don't see one another but six days out of the year. Watch this. This is the heart of the Father. So here's here's where it ends for you and for me. Just these four questions. What is your next step? Like, I mean, that, that's the question, the big question. What is your next step? Here's four possibilities. Number one, uh, should you think about what it means to um, step into foster care um, certification to be a babysitter or to do respite care. Babysitter, you just watch for a certain amount of time. Uh, Respite care is overnight. You're babysitting overnight, basically, uh, for families to be able to uh, get away or go to a wedding or whatever things. Babysitting and respite care. Um, You think to yourself, well, I'm a good babysitter right now. Why do I need to be certified? Because the state doesn't allow just anybody to babysit. And that's probably good. So you have to get um, certified to do so. There is a training at the sanctuary um, at their offices. It's coming up um, after the turn of the year, uh, January, late January, early February. Um, They're right across from uh, JSC. Um, You can drive over there, uh, sit for a while and and go through that and be a part uh, of this. You can answer that question. You just, uh, here in a minute, you make yourself right this way, have a conversation with Gracie. Second question. Some of you may need to go, you know what? That's that's not for us. We need to go ahead and take an additional step uh, to be foster parents. None of this is easy. None of it is easy but it may be something that you need to do if this is your next step. Thirdly, some of you uh, may need to step into the world and just go, you know what? I I know that we need to expand our family and we're going to do so via adoption. Can we adopt? If we have conversations, you can have conversations of what that looks like domestically uh, with Gracie. um, As soon as we're done here, if you want to have conversations about what it looks like internationally, there are other resources available, including me and my family and others in here who have adopted uh, internationally. And lastly, And this, everybody can say yes and amen to. Uh, Is there, uh, what what would it look like for you to be the prayer and resource answer um, for parents? What would that look like? What would it look like? What what would it look like for you? Oh man, I heard that, uh, uh, you know, one of these families got, I'm praying for them. I call them up. Hey, what do you need? Size two, I'll be there. Give me 30 minutes. Target's right down here. I'm just making a quick stop. And yes, there's all sorts of construction on I-45 right now. I'm going to go the back way. So that's why it's going to take me a little bit longer. (laughs) What does it look like for you to be prayer and resource support um, for parents? What is your next step? And then how will you see God move in light of that? I'm going to pray. We'll have a song of response. And then uh, when you're ready, you can make your way uh, to that table and have a conversation. Would you join me, though, to pray? Um, father, thanks for, um, giving us this opportunity here, uh, to speak about this issue. And really that that's a misnomer. It's not an issue. It's your heartbeat. And so I pray father that you would um, be at work here to accomplish in us and then through us what you want to, um, If there are things that we need to kind of rid ourselves of in order to be ready, please help us with that. Put your um, finger on that and uh, let the pressure remain until we're ready to deal with you about that. Um, Jesus, it strikes me that these are not optional things for us. These are important things for us. And so help us um, to align ourselves with you. And I pray, Father, also over every person here uh, that they would hear your heartbeat in this and they would be willing. And I mean, even today. Just to step into the things that you desire. (laughs) Make it a part of their life. Make it a part of their story, whatever that looks like at whatever level. But do it because of how how you have worked for us and in us. Help us to be a part of the religion that is worthwhile, pure and undefiled. Thank you, God, for the stories that come out of these people. Yeah, and there's pain. But there are stories of magnificent things that you have done. Majestic, even. So, thank you for those. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen.